Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. It's been said that with life, you don't get do-overs, but podcasting is not life, so today is going to be a do-over. As part of my normal podcasting process, once I produce and edit a podcast, I listen to it one more time to make sure everything's okay. Recently, I was listening to Crafting a Strategic Investment Roadmap and realized that even though the material was comprehensive, it was also complex. All of the information presented was thoroughly researched, well-prepared, and organized. But as I listened, I felt like it wasn't really understandable. And as I continued to listen, I felt that I had not fulfilled one of my basic principles with the Retiring with Enough podcast, which is to clarify and simplify complex financial concepts. Many of the basic principles of investing are complex, and they're actually made more confusing by the fact that these basic principles need to be modified by each individual to fit into each individual's investment plans for maximum efficiency and performance. So today's do-over day, I'm going to try again. Over the years, I've come to realize that there are two parts to the investment roadmap equation. The first part revolves around trying to understand how much and how to best save for retirement. The second part revolves around where to place those investment dollars and how to put them to best use. This simplified version of crafting a strategic investment roadmap utilizes only two principles. Spend less than you make and invest the difference in long-term investment vehicles. It can't get much simpler than that, but simple doesn't always mean easy. Even though those two principles are pretty simple, it doesn't mean that they're actually easy to apply. Spending less than you make is a pretty simple concept to understand. If you earn $10, then you must spend less than $10. The problem is not one of understanding the principle, but more a problem of implementation. How is this best accomplished, and will it really lead to financial independence? For the vast majority of salaried workers, the paycheck that each person receives is usually net of anticipated taxes. What do I mean? I mean that usually Social Security, Medicare, and anticipated income tax amounts are withdrawn from your pay prior to the check being issued. The dollars received can then be used for discretionary spending on items such as food, clothing, health care, and education because even though your gross salary may be $36,000 a year, the monthly amount you receive will be less than $3,000 a month because of the removal of all the applicable taxes and surcharges. But it also means that most people who receive their check are looking at a net-net amount because it's net of taxes. And it gives you a much clearer picture of how many dollars are actually available to spend each month. This amount represents your net monthly income or net spendable income. According to principle number one, you have to spend less than that amount you receive each month to have dollars to save. By spending less than your net monthly income, these extra dollars now become available to invest for future income generation. So once the person makes a decision to actually spend less than they make, 
then the next question becomes, what percentage of these available dollars should you save each month? This is a personal choice, but the percentage of income saved is super important because it has a huge impact on the time needed to create necessary retirement savings. So let's stop and think about this for a second. Why would the percentage of income saved have an impact on the amount of time needed to create your retirement savings? Because the larger the percentage of income saved each month, the shorter the period until someone can replace their earned income with income derived from investments. The object of this exercise is to create a retirement nest egg or a retirement account that will create passive income that matches your monthly living expenses. So, if you save 5% of your income, then you'll have to work 66 years before you'll create a retirement account big enough to replace your working income. For this particular discussion, we're not going to talk about how these numbers are generated, what percentage rates were used, and what portfolio mixes. I want you to instead focus on the amount or the percentage of savings and using that percentage of savings, how many years you actually need to work until you can retire. So we already said that if you save 5% of your income, you have to work 66 years before you can retire. If you save 10% of your income, then you have to work 51 years. Most investment advisors recommend that you save between 15 and 20% of your income, and that means you'll have to work between 37 and 43 years to replace your current income. And if you think about it for a second, that represents the normal working lifespan of most Americans. But what happens if you increase that savings rate to 50%, then you drop the working time until you're able to retire down to 17 years. If you decide that you're going to save 75% of your income, then you can retire in seven years. Now, is this doable for most people? No, not really. It's fun to look at the numbers, but it's not really feasible or applicable for most people on fixed income. What is important to understand is that if you don't save any of your spendable income, then you'll never build a retirement savings account. And even worse, you have to work your whole life because you'll never have any retirement income being generated. With no retirement income being generated from savings, you have to continue working to generate earned income to live on for the rest of your life. One of the best ways to save and one of the most effective techniques that I've used is just to automate that investment process. In my dental practice, each month dollars were diverted into a special investment account, which were then put into my portfolio periodically. It was money that I didn't see. It was money that I didn't get to use. So I never really felt the loss of those dollars because I never really got to use them. So it made my particular investment program a lot more painless. It's been shown that automatic enrollment and automatic investing increase participation. The plan participation for T. Rowe Price record-kept plans that have adopted auto-enrollment is 85% compared with just 39% for those who have not implemented it. 
So automatic enrollment and automatic investing do work. Money automatically deducted from your discretionary income periodically is consistently and painlessly invested. I was much less tempted to spend this money because I never saw it and it was automatically removed from my monthly discretionary spending before I had a chance to spend it. Almost all retirement plan accounts and brokerage accounts can now be directed by the account holder to automatically withdraw money from a personal account periodically. This withdrawal can occur weekly, monthly, bimonthly, quarterly, or annually, or any other time frame that you, the account holder, dictates. There are several different ways to invest using money from a personal checking account. Using automatic, periodic drafts is one of the simplest and easiest ways to save for retirement. The idea here is to figure out which way to save works best for you, and then to make it painless by automating your payments. I found that contributions that were automatically deducted from my business account worked better, were more painless, and provided an easier way for me to fund my retirement accounts. I saved between 15 and 20% of my income, and that seemed to work for me. But that's not the only way to do it. Because this thread about investing and savings brings to mind a story about a friend of mine. This occurred about 20 years ago when my friend, who's approximately the same age as me, retired around age 55. I was blown away because he and his wife were both salaried workers and lived in a very modest house with a very modest lifestyle. When I questioned him about how he was able to retire at such an early age, this is what he told me. He said, my wife and I have lived in the same house for many, many years. Over the years, I've received raises and my wife has received raises, but we've never expanded our lifestyle. All of the raises that we've received over the years have gone directly into savings. In this manner, my friend was actually able to increase his savings rate to approximately 30 or 40 percent over the years, which allowed him to retire at a very early age. This is just a variation on the same theme. My friend lived on less than he made. He lived below his means, and he invested a large portion of his income towards future retirement funding. As a result of his automatic investing, aggressive savings, and investing of his retirement money, he was able to retire at an early age. So this brings us to the second portion of our simplified version of crafting a strategic investment roadmap, which is investing the difference in long-term investment vehicles. All of the information discussed in the previous podcast was correct and relevant. If someone engages a certified financial planner, then a comprehensive investment plan is an integral part of that retirement planning process. The problem for a novice or a do-it-yourself investor is that the same material, because it's comprehensive, can be very confusing. So what's the easy button? For someone who's not well-versed in stock investing, the best investment may well be a target date fund. A target date fund combines all of the beneficial aspects of a comprehensive portfolio 
into one fund. This is a one-and-done approach. The fund is invested more aggressively for young investors because they have a long timeline, and the fund becomes more conservative as the investor approaches retirement. This is all done automatically and internally. The investor only has to pick the fund that most closely corresponds with their target or anticipated date for retirement. The fund manager gradually reduces the stock exposure over time, which also decreases market risk. The fund is designed to become safer and more conservative as the investor approaches retirement. And you, the investor, have nothing to do but to continue to invest in the fund because, as I said, it's all done automatically and it's all done internally. Most target date funds are what are called a fund of funds, which means that the target date fund that you pick is actually comprised of several different types of stock or bond mutual funds within that one fund. Within that one fund, you, the investor, receives management, portfolio diversification, and risk management. The downside of target date funds is normally there's some slight additional drag that comes from the higher management fees associated with target date funds. But the returns for target date funds are very competitive, they're easy to use, and the efficiency of one fund goes a long way to balance any discrepancies or slightly higher fees. So there you have it. Two very easy principles that will get you down the path towards retirement most easily and simply. Is this the best and most cost-effective method to plan for retirement? The correct answer is that it's dependent on each person. The investment plan that I just described would be best for someone who desires to create and manage their retirement plan while spending the least amount of time managing that plan. Someone seeking the highest return or someone seeking the greatest amount of flexibility in management of their plan would probably not be happy with the target date fund. Someone seeking increased variability in funding their retirement plan or someone that requires the ability to deposit larger amounts under certain conditions may not be happy with periodic automatic drafting of specific amounts. Investors seeking the lowest cost plan may not care for the slightly higher fees of target date funds or possibly would rather use ETFs, exchange-traded funds, which also provide a lower cost profile. So even the easiest and simplest investment plan still has some degree of complexity. There will always be choices and options that are investor dependent. Again, the function of this podcast was to clarify and simplify what I felt was a more comprehensive and possibly confusing investment plan style that I presented in the previous podcast. Even though the previous podcast follows the format used by financial planning professionals, it may actually be more complex than necessary for many individual investors. And now some final thoughts. An investment plan is an integral part of financial planning. 
Investment plans have the potential to be as simple or as comprehensive as each person desires. The investment plan that I presented in this podcast is one of the simplest to fund and easiest to manage. Individuals who are not comfortable creating and managing their plans have the option to work with a certified financial planner to create the best plan for their individual needs. Complexity, costs, and returns will vary among plans depending on the type of plan chosen, the amount of risk taken, and the investing horizon. In my next podcast, we'll speak about building a retirement pie one slice at a time. And as always, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources and retiring with enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer to buy or sell securities.